Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. It is a great Tuesday here at the American Family Radio Network, especially if you have such fun people like Adam and Devin to hang out with before the show. So uh, we always have such a great time here. Uh, before we have to get to the news and some of the top trending headlines this morning, and we'll start with this one, which was just kind of really odd. Um, but, you know, that always describes what Joe Biden says and does. Uh, he apparently said, and and of course the mainstream media and the White House are like, oh, this is totally a joke. It's just Biden. Isn't he so funny? Ha ha. But he actually said, I sold a lot of state secrets. <laughs> Listen to this. This has got one. I was just thinking, uh, uh, the, anyway, I started off without you. And I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared. So that just seems kind of weird. And um, and that was at the start of a meeting yesterday. And uh, Biden says that he started the meeting uh, without everybody and then just randomly inserts. I sold a lot of state secrets. And everybody's like, yeah, we know. Uh, but, you know, but my question here is, has anybody thought about just putting like a GoPro on this guy and 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 seeing what what is revealed or like a body cam or something? Because he tends to just mumble a lot of these things that the White House has to later spin as, oh, he's kidding, or oh, he didn't mean it, or oh, let's contextualize this. Like, there was another video out, and and you really need to go look for this one if you haven't seen this, where um, he's he's standing with um, another foreign dignitary, and they're playing the other guy's anthem, and Biden has his hand on it uh, over his heart, and he realizes, like, partway through this, or somebody like the Easter Bunny in the audience is signaling to him, uh, that this isn't the American national anthem. And so he just awkwardly brings his hand down and it's like, oh, whoops. And it just looks so stupid. And 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 it's really embarrassing because these are not just gaffes. These aren't just things that, oh, isn't he, you know, cute? Or isn't he just, you know, accidentally, oh, anybody can trip over a sandbag. I mean, these are things that should seriously make all of us as Americans who expect our chief executive to function properly and have just a modicum of uh, not just common sense, but sense to start asking these questions very, very seriously. And it's frustrating to me personally, as somebody who went through uh, the entire Trump administration where Nancy Pelosi and the left are arguing that that Trump is somehow mentally unsound and we need to invoke the 25th Amendment. I mean, do you guys remember when she had that that giant whiteboard in the House on the floor at one point in time and had highlighted portions of the 25th Amendment and, and when it was serious that we need to have this competency test for President Trump and clearly, uh, you know, he's not fit to to run America. And they were serious. And they got serious media attention for this. And yet 
when Joe Biden clearly has competency issues and he whether it's it's dementia, whether it is just a mental um, acumen that is receding, whether there's some other health deficiency or mental capacity deficiency. I think we as American people really deserve to know that, especially because right now, allegedly, and according to the White House and according to Joe Biden, uh, he's running for president again. And he still has the rest of his term to fill out. And yet he's just he's just randomly saying, oh, I sold a lot of state secrets. Ha ha ha. So uh, so this is something that it's frustrating to me to see how the left harnesses mainstream media Anything Nancy Pelosi said while she was Speaker of the House got wide media attention, solemnity. There was almost this, you know, ceremonial uh, nature around all of this. And then you have the Republicans that now have uh, the House majority. And no matter what they do, they could file impeachment articles daily against Joe Biden. And everybody would be like, eh, yeah, well, you know, that's just that's just crazy Lauren Boebert over there. That's just Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, we don't care. I mean, that that's that's how they're treating the, the Republicans. That's how the elite media treats Republicans with such a disparity between uh, the two parties. And and I think that that's a total disservice to the American people. And it, it has been for a while. And, and that's why the other uh, news outlets and some of these alternative ways of actually paying attention to what's going on in the news are on the rise because people are getting really sick and tired of this. But it's also frustrating when, even though we have these alternative forums, uh, like here on American Family Radio Network or um, on my Salem Media podcast, or um, you know some of these other outlets, even on Twitter, you know you can go and you can see this. It still depends on whether we have the facts that the government is willing to tell us. And this is the other thing that uh, was going on this morning. There's a great piece out of uh, The Federalist. And if you don't read Margot Cleveland, you should. She is an excellent uh, attorney and and just has some really, really well-researched uh, pieces in The Federalist. She's one that I follow uh, prolifically. And so anytime she drops a piece, I always read it. And um, Her piece this morning was titled, IRS Whistleblower Emails Suggest David Weiss Misled Congress in Letter Claiming Charging Authority. So what is going on uh, here is that the IRS whistleblower that was in front of Congress uh, apparently said that uh, Weiss's letter to Congress, and he's, of course, the uh, the U.S. attorney from the DOJ that entered into that uh, diversion and misdemeanor Uh, charges plea agreement with Hunter Biden. And that letter had said that he had, uh, quote, been granted ultimate authority over prosecutorial decisions related to the the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden. And uh, in a that was a June 7th letter. And however, uh, the letter to Congress, apparently, and Attorney General Merrick Garland's earlier testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee was that Weiss had, quote unquote, full authority to charge Hunter Biden. But that directly conflicts with statements that Weiss made to senior members of the team investigating Hunter Biden, according to this whistleblower. So now the question is, well, well, what was accurate? Was was Weiss actually given 
charging full charging authority over Hunter Biden in Delaware, as well as crimes that uh, may have been committed in other jurisdictions like in D.C. when he was there when his dad was the vice president? Or did Weiss have to go and actually get authority for any of these other uh, multi-jurisdictional charges? And that was what led to the plea agreement. And I don't think we may ever know. But these are significant questions that really... Uh, I'm surprised that that, but you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but I'm surprised that the mainstream media isn't covering this. We've just kind of accepted the, oh, here's, here's what's going on with, with Hunter Biden. He's taking a plea and now that's closed. He's moving on. He's gotten everything all nice and buttoned up in one day, including the child support payments and all of that stuff. So take your, your focus off Hunter. No worries about the laptop. Nothing else matters. Um, don't don't ask any of these questions because ultimately uh, we want to move your attention to something else. If this was Don Jr., for example, if this was uh, the son of a prominent Republican or certainly when Trump had been in office, this would have been 24-7 in the news cycle. And so now we have Congress that is asking questions. They're willing to bring in this whistleblower. But uh, what what really can they do other than try to get some of this uh, into the mainstream media? And that's where our job, I think, is important, because the more that we talk about this on our own social media um, and make sure that we don't just let this go and we are consistently asking questions, we are calling our members of Congress, um, we are saying, you know, these these questions need to be answered, then these are things that the media can't just brush under the rug. Um, so this is a great piece, and I would I would encourage you to go and actually read this full thing. Um, and so the the title again is IRS whistleblower emails suggest David Weiss misled Congress in letter claiming charging authority. So will we ever know? Well, I don't know. Uh, the other thing that came out, speaking of uh, of Trump and and some of this <laughs> disparate treatment, uh, CNN last night obtained the audio of former President Trump um, apparently admitting he had secret military documents that were not declassified about six months after he left the White House. So this is one of the key allegations that is detailed in the Department of Justice and Jack Smith's indictment of uh, President Trump. And so this is the audio that was obtained by CNN. It was uh, pushed out on multiple networks yesterday. This is about two minutes long. And, um, and and apparently, according to the reports that have come out, this is President Trump. Uh, the other voice that you'll hear, um, I believe, sounds like uh, Liz Harrington. I know her really well. She's been on the show a lot of times, his, uh, his spokesperson. And so to me, even though that hasn't been confirmed on the media, um, I think when you hear that voice, uh, for any of you who have listened to her on this show or, or elsewhere, um, that's who that sounds like to me. And then um, apparently there were a couple of other reporters and journalists uh, that were in the room as well. So uh, this is cut two. These are bad, sick people. That, but, was, that was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started they, right at the like beginning. Like when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a coup. No, they, they were All trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right, trying to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. 
this was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Mm. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. But look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time, you know. <laughs> she'd, send it, no, she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Yeah, yeah. The pervert. Um, by the way, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. And he, you know, he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? Yeah, He's in the papers. Did. Pretty, well, this was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a, yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified yeah. it. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classified. Now, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I'm, look, we here and I have, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe it's you. It's incredible, right? No. They, hey, bring they some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. All right. So that's the audio. And uh, this is a problem for uh, for President Trump. And even though I, I get the disparate treatment, I, too, am very frustrated with Hunter Biden's plea deal. And now, you know, this uh, that I think is part witch hunt, part uh, legitimate, uh, because President Trump really could have simply avoided this whole thing, in my opinion, by simply giving the government their documents back. And the fact that these are military invasion plans of Iran created by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he's showing these and saying, I could have declassified them, they're not declassified. But hey, you know, this is off the record. Uh, this is off the record. Off the record is not a defense. Um, this is problematic. That's the tape. And so it's going to be very interesting to see where uh, President Trump's defense goes from here. And, um, you know, now he says there was nothing to declassify, but on the tape, he says, I could have declassified it. Now I can't. How do you reconcile those two statements? Well, that will be the question for uh, his lawyers and also for potentially a jury. Uh, the date has now been moved out to potentially December 11th. That August 14th uh, timeline and that trial date was just a placeholder. We will see when and if uh, that actually happens when a speedy trial is told. We'll continue to talk about this and we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So why are we free here in America? Why do we have such a wonderful law and constitution and, uh, and understanding in our political realm, in our political society, uh, as we move forward for truth in community? Uh, which is how we deal with and interact with each other in 
our society, as human beings have, have always had to do um, throughout human history, that uh, when we all get together, we have to have a common law, a common uh, set of principles by which we all agree. And, uh, and hopefully those are mirrored and derived from the truth and our divine lawgiver. Otherwise, uh, we collectively or uh, one person who has arbitrary and ultimate authority can abuse those things. And we could agree on a lot of things that are immoral um, or do not reflect the right principles for a moral and upright society. So I think we tend to, as conservatives and Christians, almost take for granted this idea that freedom and liberty exists in America and under our U.S. Constitution and our rule of law. And we, we fight for this idea And we're about to celebrate that next week in uh, celebrating the 4th of July and uh, the the ratification of of the Declaration of Independence, which, of course, then uh, provided the mandate to the U.S. Constitution. And and we talk about freedom and liberty, uh, but we really need to define those concepts and distill them to what does freedom actually mean in a biblical sense? Uh, What does freedom mean in the context of our civil society? And my good friend Oz Guinness uh, said it this way, where he said, freedom is not the ability to do what we want. It's the ability to do what we ought. And that distinction is very profound if you think about it in a biblical sense, because the Bible also talks about freedom in Christ. And the Apostle Paul talks about uh, having freedom in Christ uh, to live rightly and to have uh, to to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to continue to perfect ourselves and, and mirror Christ. Uh, continually throughout our lives until ultimately we reach eternity with Christ. And that is contrasted against this idea that just because Jesus came and paid the ultimate price for our sin and we have been cleansed and we live in an era of grace, if you, like me, are are uh, dispensational in, in terms of your, your faith and recognize that God has moved differently throughout uh, periods of human history and we can see those dispensations uh, clearly in scripture. And so we are in the church era and in the dispensation of grace. and And in scripture, when we see that, and we see that uh, we are now in a in a post cross world and 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 era, um, and that we accept when we accept the free gift of salvation, uh, then we are wiped clean. And and we every day that we repent uh, for our sins uh, daily and continue to uh, to cleanse ourselves of all unrighteousness. Um, you know, once in terms of salvation, uh, but then consistently as we hopefully are growing in maturity and the grace and knowledge of the Lord, um, we continue to hopefully rid ourselves of of sin. We will never be perfect, but hopefully we are no longer um, living in sin because we are in Christ. But the, but the old is passed away and the new has come. And that is the wonderful truth of the good news of the gospel of Christ. And in that freedom in Christ, we talked yesterday about uh, the difference between uh, truth versus wisdom. Uh, truth, which is to uh, match the character and nature of God and emulate his attributes, 
uh, versus the wisdom of how do we actually work out our faith and how do we make uh, decisions that are the best and reasonable Christians can disagree on wisdom issues. I mean, this is what happens in the course of a family. I mean, growing up, I watched, you know, my parents and working out their marriage, um, they would occasionally disagree on things. And and everybody who's married listening is like occasionally only, right? So um, so you have to then work out how do we make the best decision moving forward? And sometimes you look back and you go, okay, well, with the information I had, um, I made the best decision I could, and I'd probably make a different one now if I had more information. Well, that's not necessarily sin, right? That is just simply making a wisdom issue. And that's why we try to make the best decisions we can with the information we have and also with knowing uh, what the the truth of the gospel of Christ is, knowing the attributes of the Lord and wanting and praying for his wisdom. And so as we have the the freedom in Christ to make decisions and to pursue wisdom, and hopefully we're doing that in good faith, uh, good faith being a, a legal term and also I think a spiritual one as well, um, as we are are moving forward in making those wisdom decisions and having free will, uh, we also need to make sure that we don't translate freedom and liberty into simply licentiousness or the ability to, hey, now that I have freedom in Christ, I can go and, you know, kind of do whatever I want because um, the, the grace of God and his blood covers everything. Um, that is not at all what the Bible is talking about in terms of freedom. And interestingly, that is also not what the law talks about in terms of freedom. Um, and in terms of what freedom and liberty means in a well-ordered society, we have liberty to pursue uh, everything that is good in society and making sure that we can take care of ourselves and our families and exercise our fundamental rights, which then translate to having the freedom to exercise our religion, to have faith, to speak. And do some people use those in ways that we disagree with? Absolutely. Uh, but those those types of freedoms and liberties, it doesn't mean that the government cannot then restrain anyone from any action that they prefer just because they're over the age of 18 or because their parents are uh, wanting to, to, uh, to then choose something for their children. So, so a lot of what you see from the left today, and unfortunately the right, has this genuine misunderstanding of what freedom and liberty means. Um, freedom and liberty doesn't mean that just because you're over the age of 18, you can go and choose to have so-called gender reassignment surgery. That's, that's mutilating your own body, causing tangible harm to your own body that the government should not say is permissible just because, hey, you're an adult, consent, whatever, you can do what you want. That is not a moral and upright society, and that's not part of our law. And, and I can think of no one better to describe why we have freedom and how the government doesn't restrain too much our freedom and liberty, because that's what we as conservatives think about this um, in terms of, well, government, if they restrain me too much, or if there's less government uh, regulation, then that means more freedom. What we're seeing right now is not enough government restraint of evil in society. So I can think of no one better to articulate this and kind of set up the next segment of the show, because this is about a seven and a half minute clip, uh, than a former Justice Scalia, who was testifying in front of Congress 
And this is what he had to say. And I want you to listen to this because it's just so, so beautifully said. This is cut three. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the committee. I'm happy to be back in front of the Judiciary Committee where where I started this uh, uh, pilgrimage. Uh, I am going to get even more fundamental than uh, uh, my good friend and colleague. Like him, I, I speak uh, to students, especially law students, but also college students and even high school students, quite frequently about the Constitution. Uh, because I feel that we're, we're, we're not teaching it very well. Um, I, I speak to law students from the, the best law schools, people presumably especially interested in the law, and I ask them, how many of you have read the Federalist Papers? And, and Well, a lot of hands will go out. No, not just number 48 and the big ones. How many of you have read the Federalist Papers, cover to cover? Never more than about 5%. And that, that is very sad, I mean, if, especially if you're interested in the Constitution. Here's a document that says what the framers of it thought they were doing. It, it's such a, a profound exposition of political science that it is studied in, in political science courses in Europe. And yet we, we have raised a generation of Americans who are not familiar with it. So when, when I speak to these groups, the first point I, I make, and I, I think it's even a little more fundamental than the one that uh, uh, Stephen has just uh, put forward, I, I ask them, what do you think is the reason that America is such a free country? What is it in, in our Constitution that, that, that makes us what we are? And I guarantee you that the response I will get, and you will get this from almost any American, including the woman that he was talking to at the supermarket, the answer would be freedom of speech, freedom of the press, no unreasonable searches and seizures, no quartering of troops in hope, those marvelous provisions of the Bill of Rights. But then I tell them, if, if you think that a Bill of Rights is what sets us apart, you're crazy. Every banana republic in the world has a Bill of Rights. Every president for life has a Bill of Rights. <laughs> the Bill of Rights of the, of the former evil empire, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, was much better than ours. I mean it literally. It was much better. We guarantee freedom of speech and of the press. Big deal. They guaranteed freedom of the speech, of the press, of street demonstrations and protests, and anyone who is, who is caught trying to suppress criticism of the government will be called to account. Whoa, that, that is wonderful stuff. Of course, just words on paper, what, what our framers would have called a parchment guarantee. And the reason is that the real constitution of the Soviet Union, you think of the word constitution, it doesn't mean a bill, it means structure. Say a person has a sound constitution, has a sound structure. The real constitution of the Soviet Union, which is what our framers debated that, that, that whole summer in Philadelphia in 1787, they didn't talk about the Bill of Rights. That was an afterthought, wasn't it? That constitution of the Soviet Union did not prevent the centralization of power in one person or in one party. And when that happens, the game is over. The Bill of Rights is just what our framers would call a parchment guarantee. So. The, the real key to uh, 
the distinctiveness of America is the structure of our government. One part of it, of course, is the independence of the judiciary. But there's, there's, there's a lot more. There are very few countries in the world, for example, that, that have a bicameral legislature. Oh, England has a House of Lords for the time being, but the House of Lords has no substantial power. They can just make the Commons pass a bill a second time. France has a Senate, it's honorific. Italy has a Senate, it's honorific. Very few countries have two separate bodies in the legislature equally powerful. That's a lot of trouble, as you gentlemen doubtless know, to get the same language through two different bodies elected in a different fashion. Very few countries in the world have a, a separately elected uh, chief executive. Sometimes I go to Europe to talk about separation of powers. A and when I get there, I find that all I'm talking about is independence of the judiciary. Because the Europeans don't even try to divide the, the two political powers, the two political branches, the legislature and the chief executive. In all of the parliamentary countries, the chief executive is the creature of the legislature. There's never any disagreement between them and the, and, and the, the prime minister, as there is sometimes between you and the president. When, when there's a disagreement, they just kick him out. They have a no-confidence vote, a new election, and they get a prime minister who agrees with the legislature. And, uh, you know, the, the Europeans look at the system and they say, well, it passes one house, it doesn't pass the other house, sometimes the other house is in the control of a different party, it passes both, and then this president who has a veto power vetoes it, and they look at this and they say, uh, it, is, it is gridlock. And, and I, I hear Americans saying this nowadays, and there's a lot of it going around. They, they talk about a dysfunctional government. Be, be, because there's disagreement, and, 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 they, and the framers would have said yes. That's exactly the way we set it up. We, we wanted this to be power, uh, contradicting power, because the main, uh, the main ill that beset us, as, as Hamilton said in, in The Federalist, when he talked about a separate Senate, he said, yes, it seems inconvenient, but inasmuch as the main ill that besets us is an excess of legislation, it won't be so bad. This is 1787. He didn't know what an excess of legislation was. <laughs> so uh, uh, unless Americans can appreciate that and learn, learn to love the separation of powers, which means learning to love the gridlock, which the framers believed would be the main protection of minorities, the main protection. If, if a bill is about to pass that really comes down hard on some minority, they think it's terribly unfair, it doesn't take much to throw a monkey wrench into, into, this, into this complex system. So Americans should, uh, should appreciate that, and, and they should learn to love the gridlock. Uh, it's, it's there for a reason, so that the legislation that gets out will, will be good legislation. Uh, and thus conclude uh, my opening remarks. <laughs> and I just love that clip from Justice Scalia. What an amazing master uh, he truly, truly was of law. So we're talking about the separation of powers and how that ties into liberty and the concept of freedom and liberty from a biblical worldview and also for, for how that affects us in civil society. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So we're talking about this idea of freedom and liberty in the context not only of the separation of powers and how Justice Scalia just beautifully articulates how it's really the separation of powers that creates a society where we can truly have freedom so that we aren't overcome by uh, one or a collection of tyrants. And we also have to think of these concepts in the the understanding and the framework of the biblical worldview. And I think we tend to, as Christians, talk about freedom in Christ in the in the sense of the church and in the sense of uh, how the Bible uh, teaches about that. But we also then have a different concept of freedom and liberty when it comes to celebrating the 4th of July, when it comes to being patriotic, uh, when it comes to, well, I have my right to, you know, go out and live my life uh, and get off my lawn kind of mentality. And and I want to reconcile and act- uh, those the, both of those concepts uh, today and have you think about freedom and liberty in a civil society as the the virtue and the nature of Christ in a theological sense, because everything that we do in civil society, our law and uh, how we function together in a civil society should mirror the truth of uh, the nature of Christ and who he is. And so when we look at scripture and you look at this idea of freedom, it's not simply the ability to go and do whatever we want. It is the freedom in civil society to live according to the truth of God, that civil society does not prohibit or restrain us from doing good, from living rightly, from worshiping our Lord and Savior. And likewise, the civil society and the government should not give anyone the freedom to go and live immorally and unjustly. This is why we have criminal law. This is why we say certain acts are prohibited, not just that cause harm to others, but even harm to ourselves. This is why uh, suicide, for example, the the ultimate act of self-harm is is prohibited in law. And, and the reason for that is because we as a society do not designate that action as lawful, moral, righteous conduct. And, and, and there is such a disparity right now in our culture in understanding the truth and the true nature of freedom. And, and we as conservatives, because we tend to like less government and more, more often than not, that is a good thing to have less restraint on our freedom and our liberty to uh, move about the country and to to do all of the things that we need to get done and to exercise our faith and all of these other things, because we tend to like limited government power, we are in a sense buying into this idea that the government should not restrain evil choices of others under the auspices of freedom and liberty. And so this is where we're at right now in our society in talking about the whole transgender movement and this whole idea that there's an arbitrary cutoff that when you reach the age of 18, then somehow that uh, by virtue of reaching the age of majority, uh, which the law does recognize, and there has to be a bright line to say now you uh, can enter into contracts, you can 
now get married. You can now, uh, you know, do do a lot of things and function as an adult in society. That just because of that age of majority, that you then as an adult can choose to commit certain types of evil acts, even against your own self and your own body, and that society and our law would designate that as permissible simply because of this idea of consent. And that that is completely contradictory to what we see as the truthful definition of freedom. And, and this is where we have to get back to the understanding of where does law come from? Why do we have any restraints whatsoever? Why do we say that certain acts are unlawful, immoral, not permissible in society. It's not just because certain conduct is harmful against third parties and against their consent. Consent cannot be the measure of evil. Because otherwise, if you remove the idea of consent, then two people who decide to commit an atrocity together, then should society say, well, that's that's permissible because, hey, you know, their life, their choice. That's the worldview underpinning and the wrong idea of civil society that has gotten us to the point that we in culture and, and as Christians are are really having a difficulty coming up with an argument for why the government should not say that it is permissible for adults to go and 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 obtain gender reassignment surgery, which is really uh, mutilating their own bodies uh, for whatever purpose they they think that they can you know tr- transfer from man to woman or I'm um, having mental health problems or whatever the reason is that that is somehow permissible simply because they consent to do it to themselves we need to have a better and proper and biblical definition of freedom and liberty and the Bible talks about this in a wide variety of contexts and um, and, and the seminal verse of course is um, is in John John 8, 3, 6. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, talking about salvation and the freedom that is obtained in Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. This is talking in the context of sexual immorality and and how Paul is talking about um, that our our bodies are members of Christ himself. So he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is talking about what we do with our bodies in in the sense that our everything that we are as human beings made in the image of God belong to the Lord. We don't have freedom to to go out and commit atrocities to ourselves with our own bodies. And if we understand that the point 
of law in civil society is to promote good and restrain evil, then we do restrain acts that are evil. And this isn't just for Christians. This is not just to say, well, you have to first come into a saving knowledge of Christ, and then we can talk about your life choices. And then we can talk about maybe, you know, affirming things that are that are not good. I mean, this is why we should have laws that restrain and prohibit drug use. It's not just, well, how does that affect someone else? Who are they harming? Themselves. Harming yourself should be a concern of government. Harming someone else's body, the preborn, the elderly and physician-assisted suicide and end-of-life euthanasia bills. That concerns the government. And it is not to say that the government imposes its own will, but it, it does and should, by law, impose a standard of moral uprightness if we are to be a moral and upright society. And when we're talking about freedom and how the separation of powers works in our Constitution, the reason that we have such freedom and liberty is not because our government says, well, we just take a hands-off approach that once you reach the age of 18, then you know you can basically do whatever you want. Well, no, in the sense that, that Justice Scalia is talking about the separation of powers, it's, it's talking about how we get to the truth of how our law should look. And we need to make sure that that does not ever become that tyrant. And there's never a compulsory law from government that, that compels or forces an individual to go against the freedom and liberty in Christ. But we also need to, as Christians, talk about the other side of that coin, which is that government is supposed to move in society to promote good and restrain evil. Uh, Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says, For you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 3.22, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Ephesians 3.12, in him and through him in faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Psalm 119, I love Psalm 119. It is King David's love of the law and of scripture. And verse 45 says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Psalm 118, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place in freedom. Acts 13, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And then finally, Romans six twenty two. but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. We need to model true freedom and liberty in our nation 
so that we understand the definition of freedom is not just to go out and do what we want or to say, if I have freedom, therefore I need to be okay with the types of quote unquote freedom that we saw over the weekend with, you know, these just horribly disgusting displays of vulgarity at pride parades and the, the absolute licentiousness of the culture. And, and we need to get away from this idea that if we want to have religious freedom and freedom of speech and free exercise of religion in this country, then we likewise have to affirm and be okay with the type of licentiousness and vulgarity and wrong sinful behavior of our neighbor simply because, well, hey, if I want freedom, then I have to give the other person freedom as well. No, freedom in a biblical sense is to be set free from sin, to become slaves of God and to, to benefit. The benefit that we reap leads to holiness and that result is eternal life. We have to be consistently proclaiming that freedom is only true freedom is only found in Christ and our law needs to model that and we need to consistently always and continually promote good the measurable difference between right and wrong good and evil in our society and proclaim the truth of the Lord until the day he returns and this doesn't mean then that we have to abide by every objection and say oh yeah we're we're asking for a theocracy. No, that would mean then that the church as the authority and the members of the ecclesia are over civil society. No, our governor doesn't respond and, and isn't under the authority of a pastor. He should be. Um, he or she in his, in his uh, personal life as a member of the family, as a member of the church, but in the capacity as governor or mayor or president. It's separate jurisdictional authority. So don't let anyone confuse the argument with some of these nonsensical objections to say, oh, well, because you want to enforce true freedom and you want laws to mirror a moral and upright society and what that means in a measurable sense, that that morality can only be derived from the person of truth, that somehow you're arguing for a theocracy or you're arguing that uh, for a state mandated religion or any of those things. No, our founders would have and did reject that premise. That was the whole point of Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Church saying, no, 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 these are separate jurisdictional authorities. But even if when we're talking about the jurisdiction of the civil government, we still have to talk about what moral law looks like. And that is the argument that, it, it, that at the beginning of, of all of this that we are talking about here in terms of understanding our Constitution, our rule of law, how our law and our Constitution works in civil society, we have to start with the truthful definition of freedom and liberty and why we're doing this to begin with. So Christian... Always go out and promote the truth of the gospel of Christ, the correct definitions, and understand that freedom, freedom is to be free from sin, become slaves of God, and the result ultimately is eternal life.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.